Welcome, 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 Brett. 2021, we put the shitty 2020 behind us. Um, it wasn't that shitty, but but uh, we, we had a few challenges, didn't we, Brett? Yeah. G'day, George, by the way. Oh, g'day, g'day. Not least of which, not least of which, our sound quality. Hopefully it's a little bit better. We're still on Zoom, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we're still on Zoom. We're not in the studio yet. We're so much... Uh, Looking forward to, um, you know, you're facing people. It's, it's, there's a, there's something really magical about being being physically close to people, don't you think? I always like the in studio interviews myself, but you know, it is what it is. Yes, yes. So, so, so um, we um, we uh, what are we doing differently this season? You're, you're really having to think about that. I, one thing I have noticed is that I, I, um, your beard's got so long that you look like... Um, Grizzly G- Adams. It, you look like a, an ugly version of George Clooney out at, that's been out in one of those movies, you know, out the Klondikes or something. Actually, actually, if you want to see an ugly version of, of uh, George Clooney, um, you've, you've got you've to um, get on to... Um, Netflix and have a look at um, his latest uh, appearance in a series. Yeah. I, I at first, I at first didn't recognise him. It's a good series, I, that one. Oh, you you've been watching it. I have. What's the name of it? I, I can't, can't remember. remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it must have been great then. I got a really short-term <clears throat> thing of me, Bob, as you well know. As as I do know well know, and, <laughs> and so do I. Who, uh, who are you? <laughs> COVID's done that to us, hasn't it? You know, um, I, st- I stayed up all night to see where the sun went. Then it dawned on me. Well, I know that 2021 is not going to improve as far as dad <laughs> jokes are concerned. So let's let's uh, skip that one, shall we? <laughs> so, <laughs> so George, who have we got on today? Because he's, he's about to come on in one minute, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we better hurry. Well, who do we have? We have Jack Jones of the Banksia Project. Tell us a little bit more about the Banksia Project. That's Jack Jones, the um, Banksia Project, not Jack Jones, the singer. Well, I, I thought he was the singer. When you when you booked him in, I thought, oh, Brett's old mate. Must be an old mate. I thought he's a singer. Brett's a, you know, a bit of a rocker. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I guess Jones and Jack are pretty common names. In that you know, in that age bracket, so it's a good strong name, don't you think? Mm. It is, it is. Um, so yes, so let's uh, let's get him on, George. Here we let's go. Here we go with season seven. Are we season seven or season season eight? Oh. I can't I'll make remember. Episode number. Uh, we're getting up. Uh, this season will be. We'll we'll reach our hundredth episode. Oh wow! Mm. Yeah, we've been around that long. Yeah, we have. We're due for retirement soon. <laughs> I, I bet you there's a lot of people that would wish we'd retire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Let's get him on. Okay. Out of 
Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Now, I don't know if you've uh, you've listened to any previous episodes, but, um, you know, expect the unexpected. <laughs> Just, no, I think... no, not really. Not really. Just, you know, we, we're... Um, so I could chat amongst mates. Yeah. So I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, perfect. So Jack, um, Brett, Brett was telling me about um, uh, you You head the Banksia project. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like how old are you? Where do you live? Not the precise yeah. address because we don't want stalkers turning up on your doorstep. Um, look, our, our house is an open home, so anyone is welcome. But uh, so I, I'm 28. Uh, I live in Maroubra in Sydney and um, have just got out of the water down at Maroubra Beach, which was phenomenal. Yep. Um, but, yeah, live with my partner down there and, and uh, you know, try and uh, keep myself busy. And in my spare time, I run a mental health charity. Did, right. did you grow up in Sydney, Jack? No, I'm from Canberra originally. So grew up in Canberra, um, moved up to Sydney for study and sport and uh, never looked back. What's the best thing that came came out of Canberra? The road to Sydney. <laughs> or Melbourne. Or anywhere, yeah. really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's Canberra. Canberra is a bit. Uh, it's it's a bit like Adelaide, right? All the all the all the really um, ambitious people they leave unless you want to be a poly. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, right. So, so you did. Um, you, you obviously did a runner. You wanted to get out as uh, as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And and you you did what a lot of people um, you know arriving in Sydney do. They go straight to the beach area. Yeah. Well, look, I, I took my time to get out this way. Um, I, I sort of started in the west um, near Sydney Uni and, and things like that, where I was studying, and then uh, gradually just moved further and further east. And now I uh, I won't look back. What did you study at Sydney Uni? Yeah, I was going to say. What did you, what um, not a whole lot. I got passes. Um, so there was a bit of studying going on, but not a huge amount. Um, P's get degrees, as they say, but uh, got an undergrad of health science and then uh, did a master's at UTS uh, in health management and project management. Right. Well, you couldn't have, you couldn't have, been, you couldn't have been hopeless, really. I mean, you did <laughs> master's. That's, that's, that's not bad. I'd like to think by that point I started to uh, sort things out a little bit more, but no, the undergrad was a was a um, a fine line. Was that due to partying? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't that much. Um, some of it could be attributed to that, but a lot of it was you know playing sport and uh, working full time and everything like that as well. Mm. Um, but but balance, mm, right? So the perfect amount of study. So you were, uh, you were sports focused, I take it. Yeah, very much, in, um, very much. In what areas? Uh, I played rugby uh, down at Sydney Uni, so right. um, pretty full-on uh, training schedule with that and uh, pretty had some pretty high ambitions for that. And, um, yeah, so it kept me very busy. Well, you couldn't have been that good, mate, because your nose is still straight. <laughs> just, just. Um, <laughs> got Got a few fake teeth in there and things like that, but oh, um, right, right, okay. Well, you know, you know, you've you've obviously you obviously struck a very lovely balance between uh, you know social engagements, sport, and and study. 
uh, I, I do recall when I was at Sydney Uni, I didn't. I, I immersed myself in all the social activities and the sport yeah. and yeah. forgot about everything else. Yeah. So, uh, so you did. You did. You done good. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know when when you get fifties, fifty ones in a few subjects, you go, well, that's the perfect amount. Uh, I didn't didn't overapply myself, but um, got through the subject. So <laughs> it's 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 incredible, isn't it? I mean, I I realised very early in the piece that the that universities do whatever whatever they can to help you get a pass. Correct. And, Correct. <laughs> so, so if you apply just minimal effort, <laughs> you get there. And it's scary, really. Think about yeah. all the professionals out there that just got over the line. <laughs> just. Gee, so that brain yes. surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's uh, it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so did you love did you love what you were studying? Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I did love it. I did love it. My my undergrad I probably wasn't as passionate but also I was still young um I was, I was still very young and, and trying to work out how I studied and, and what worked for me and all that kind of stuff but I, I do love health and I, I loved you know that was particularly with a movement focus um anatomy movement looking in the physio master's space but then you know changed tact a little bit and went into my master's of sort of systems in health and and projects in health and um that was when I really found passion and, and interest and I'd like to think that, you know, in the second time around in, in, the, in the second degree, I was probably a little bit more focused and getting better results as well, which was good. So uh, let's move on to the Banksia project. So, so tell, tell us how the Banksia project came about. Obviously, you're the, you were the um, first founder, were you? No, actually, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm not the founder. Uh, it was founded by a group of young men who went, we... We keep having people in our cohort, you know, peers from school, things like that, who unfortunately kept taking their own life. Um, and they went, well, what do we need? We need something to stop this from happening. Um, so they came together. They, they engaged some research professionals and said, let's, let's put something together to keep men safe, to teach them preventative skills on how to deal with their health and well-being. And then most importantly, to stay connected, stay supported and, and have vulnerable conversations. And um, that was in 2015, 2016. Um, I then came to a member of the Banksia, uh, sorry, an event held by the Banksia Project as a member of the public and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the whole preventative concept of, of let's teach these people, particularly men, skills they need before crisis rather than waiting for crisis to occur and picking up the pieces. Um, which just made complete sense to me and I resonated with it massively. So I, um, I put my hand up and, and helped the founder sort of get registered charity status and, you know, set up some of the basic foundations. And um, I was then lucky enough to be offered the first job and I've been doing it now for almost three years and, and seen some pretty amazing growth um, in an organisation since then. So. so you didn't come to it because you, were, you had those issues? No, I, I did. Um, I, I uh, as a, a younger person, particularly, you know, probably the years that we were talking about through uni and, all, and sport and all those kind of things, went through some pretty severe mental illness myself. Um, I, uh, you know, and I, I didn't know um, a lot of things, but I, I certainly didn't know how to understand my own emotions and then articulate them. And um, that was some of the founding principles of Banksia is teaching men those skills and 
also teaching mates to be able to receive those conversations and be a safe audience. And um, that was something I really resonated with. So uh, having gone through my challenges um, and, you know, learnt to accept them and also learnt to navigate them safely, mm. um, I'm now really, really passionate about helping other men do the same thing. Jack, um, just a question, you know, what was going on for you that it, you know, you seemed on the face of it, you seemed like everything was going right. You know, you were a university, you were, you know, you were, you had a, I mean, anyone looking at you would think, well, mate, he's, he's doing all right. He's playing sport. He's socializing. He's, he's, um, you know, he's doing his studies. He's going somewhere. So what, what, what was going on in your head? Yeah, look, great question, George. And, and you know, I appreciate that. I think um, a lot of people probably did make those same assumptions, you know, that everything was going fine. I was, I was always the bloke that was there to support my mates. I was the first mm -hmm. one that they would call and contact. And, you know, I was always so emotionally supportive and, and there for them. But I think that was probably, in a way, it was um, deflecting perhaps some of the issues that I was actually going through. And um, I was probably the busiest person in, in the room all the time. You know, I was, I was studying full-time, working full-time to pay my way, um, trying to train and play at an elite sporting level um, and then trying to maintain a social life and work, work out my way in this world as everyone else has to do. Um, and that was a pretty tough thing, but I think there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes that, you know, my, my sense of self-worth and well-being was certainly um, quite skewed. I was... I had a lot of poor, um, you know, uh, poor feedback loops about why I was valuable and why I was worthy, um, and I needed that sort of gratification from other people to actually feel happy. Um, and you know, there were a whole range of challenges that popped up, both you know, growing up as well as um, as well as during those times. But I think that was the tough thing that on the outside, you know, I was straight white well-educated, played elite sport, had great friends, you know, had great social connections and people went, oh, well, you know, he's fine. Um, whereas uh, I wasn't. And I think the next real challenge that I didn't know how to make sense of that. I didn't know why when I had all of these things around me, why I still felt so bad. Um, and then also I didn't know how to articulate it to the people that were closest to me. So they had no idea that it was actually going on behind the scenes. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Gino from Bondi Broker. In today's changing times, the importance of health and financial security has never been more important. At Bondi Broker, we work with you to improve your financial security by offering free financial health checks, assisting in reducing your debt, and gain competitive rates to improve your cash flow. Bondi Broker gets you in the best financial health so you can focus on what matters most. Visit our website today for your free consultation at bondibroker.com.au. Yeah, Jack, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's quite a paradox in life that um, uh, a, lot of, a lot of successful people, like driven people, uh, are, are so because of a, you know, a deep-rooted um, sense of loathing or um, insecurity, like trying to prove themselves as worthy. Um, and that keeps reappearing over and over again. You, you see actors and comedians that take their lives because yeah. they... You know, Robin Williams, classic example, um, you know, reached the pinnacle of his life 
uh, but had this inability to just be complete and and um, comfortable with who he was. And he's yeah. one of many, many, many examples that we have. What do you think? Where do you think that comes from? Look, uh, you know, how long we want this episode to be. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I think there's a few things. Uh, for me, you know, I can talk about my personal experience, but also some trends and things like that that I see. Um, I think one of the major contributing factors to this, I think, is the difference between expectation and reality. Um, that's something that I've had to come to terms with a lot, that if, if our expectations are high and we have these you know, expectations that we need to do X, Y, Z, um, and we can't, and reality doesn't match up to that. I think that leaves the difference in those two factors is, is I think, the difference between health and well-being. Um, if if we're if we have these targets and goals that are so unattainable and so unreachable, but we think, okay, well, if we don't get them, then we're not worthy, not valuable, um, and the reality doesn't meet that. I think that's where you know a lot of I guess unhappiness um, is is born out of or, or evolves out of. But I also think um, a, a huge amount of of challenge that we have is uh, mental illness is not um, visible. It's not a thing that people can say, okay, that person's got it and that person doesn't. You know, I think um, there's no. It's not a one size fits all. Um, people who are mentally ill um, are everyday people and I think you know we also need to start having conversations about mental health and say well mental health isn't depression mental health isn't you know anxiety OCD mental health is something we all have um, because quite often those people who are at the top of you know aiming for these goals or have these high expectations they will not even consider their mental health until they're in a crisis they won't put their own health and well-being they won't look after themselves because nothing is more important than those goals. Mm. Um, whereas the education to tell these people, okay, well, you're actually not going to be any good at all these things, or you could be so much better if you actually spend the time investing in your own health and wellbeing um, regularly, rather than just waiting until you get to that milestone to be happy. Yeah. Look, I think um, there's a whole range of reasons and, and each uh, individual is obviously different, but I think, you know, first and foremost, it's not, what we're brought up to do, uh, particularly men, George, in, in relation to your sort of point there. Um, it's look after everyone else first. It's go and get that job, be the breadwinner, go and do what you need to do to look after your family, show everyone else how good you are in a way, you know, puff that chest and make sure there's a few hairs on it while you're doing it. Show that you've got runs on the board and, and be successful and therefore you will be a good person, you will be a good man. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we place a lot of emphasis on our role, particularly, um, you know, you, you look at people who say, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, you know, and, and that defines them. Uh, their role that they play in society is a definition of who they are. And I think that's a really dangerous thing. Um, I think we need to probably strip all that back and say, well, how do we build up habits for people to, and, and make it okay for men but everyone to just focus on being a good family member, a good friend, well connected with themselves, well connected with others, you know, physically healthy, have a good balance. And then at the same time, they also happen to be good at law or good at medicine or whatever that is. Um, I think 
we don't place enough emphasis on those small habits and behaviours that actually create overall well-being. Um, but we also don't, we also probably don't connect or learn from each other enough that we're all going through these challenges. We're all going through the hurdles that life is going to throw, but we don't talk about it. And so um, a lot of people have these challenges, but they just keep behind closed doors. Whereas if we were to learn off each other and say, well, how did you navigate that one or what worked for you? Um, it would also it would normalise it for the individual going through those challenges, but it would also help them navigate it. Yeah, Jack, um, you know, you, you, you're bringing up a subject that's, uh, you know, that's real close to home. Um, you know, my, my, my father, <clears throat> pardon me, he measured himself according to what he did or, mm -hmm. you know, like, who are you? Like, what do you do for a living? I run businesses, my own businesses. And when they all collapsed, he just descended into alcoholism and then took his life, um, you know, because he, he, he couldn't answer that, that one question. Like, who are you? Like, yeah. not what do you do? Like, who are you? Like, how are you? Like, how are you going? He couldn't, he couldn't communicate effectively with people, uh, with the people around him. Um, and it's, and, and even in my own life, I've seen that, uh, you know, the, the idea of communicating openly, and just, you know, what's and all, revealing what's and all exactly what's going on inside my head. That was a real tough nut to crack when, mm. um, you know, when expectations to provide, be a family, you know, a dad and a, and a, a provider for the family, very, really, really high. Um, and I think you nailed it that um, I think the differences between expectations and reality in the 21st century is a lot higher than it was a hundred years ago. Back then people just expected food on the table and mate, if you had a pair of shoes once a year, that was a good, that was a good year. Now yeah. the expectations is you've got to have the beamer, you've got to have the big house, you've got to have this, you've got to have that. And I, and often I've had these discussions with Brett. I don't know how people manage because we're not all rich. We're not all we're not all um, cash flow positive to the nth degree. Um, yeah. And I just don't know how, how they manage, but obviously secretly behind the scenes, people aren't. Um, yeah. do, you, do you find that? Yeah. Look, firstly, George, um, thank you for sharing. And I'm very sorry to hear about your father and, and the family, but, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it's unfortunately it's a, it's a pattern or a, a circumstance that's so common. Um, we as men, but as people, we define ourselves by what we can achieve, you know, what we can do, what we run, what our empire is, so to speak. And um, I, I really try and emphasize that to say, you know, are you a good friend? Are you a good family member? I try and introduce myself as those things, you know, where do you live? What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? And then while you're there, what do you do for work? You know, tell me that, but I also couldn't give a shit. <laughs> um, and I think that's really important. I, and, you know, I could talk a lot about that whole value system and, and values and beliefs and ideologies. And I think, you know, particularly when you look at um, people in institutions like sport or even, even in a more, uh, I'd say, acute nature in, in the military, you, you lose that sense of identity. You adopt the values and beliefs of that institution. And then when you come out of those institutions you're left wondering you're left looking for who the hell am i because um i 
I almost clean slated myself when I adopted everything that I was told to to be better in that role, and and rightly so. But then when you leave that institution, you're you're left left uh, quite lost. Um, but I guess going to um, your point about you know the the expectation and reality and, and society standards today, I think it's some really interesting statistics you know um quite often people in australia for example have some of the worst mental health statistics because we're told we're in the lucky country we're told we're the ones who are meant to have everything sorted out you know the the aussie stereotype and characteristic in the world is that we're successful we're happy we're outgoing you know we're, we're larrikins we enjoy ourselves and if you're living in Australia, you fit your profile, but you actually don't experience those things, the expectation is so high and reality doesn't match. Whereas, as you said, 100 years ago, but then if you also look at other countries or, you know, other ways of life, other cultures, expectation is having food on the table, is having family around you, being connected, being supported. And I think that really... If you can meet that reality, you know, that's a luxury in itself. And that's what we, we should focus more on. I think, you know, even, you know, you look at Indigenous cultures and they have so much beauty in their community, in their trust of each other, in their connection, in their sense of identity being placed on a whole community, not just an individual. Um, and that's something I think we could learn a lot from. Um, but I, I think as well, George, you know, touching on what you mentioned about, you know, communication, as blokes in Australia, we're not told that it's okay to communicate our emotions. Um, I know in my experience, I wasn't shown how to do it. I didn't have a male role model around me saying, be vulnerable and, and not just saying be vulnerable, but doing it and teaching and showing me that it is okay and how to do that. Um, and, and that's damaging. So I think, you know, one of the roles that I really emphasise um, that I think the Banksia project can play and as well as you know, anyone is, is changing that stereotype for men who are now fathers or brothers, you know, uh, bosses, wherever they sit is to show vulnerability, show the people around you it's okay to be vulnerable and to, to at times ask for help so that the people around you start going, okay, well, it's okay for me to do so. And I think, um, for the next generation of, of young men coming through, hopefully they go, you know what, my dad was a tough man. He did show bravery. He was courageous, but he also was vulnerable. And I think that's some of the most courageous and brave things that men can do in this society is to be brave by being vulnerable. Well, tell us about how it works, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... You know, the, the top the top down summary is that we are an organization of connection and support. We're teaching blokes how to look after one another, how to look after themselves. Um, we do that through ongoing support groups. So we call these our growth rooms. Our growth rooms meet once a month, um, a group of about eight to ten blokes who just catch up. They talk about life's ups and downs, they talk about um, you know, what they're going through, some of the challenges they may be facing, but also some of the really good things are happening. And it becomes like your team. Um, these groups are run by trained volunteers. So we train everyday blokes of the, in the community to support their mates, um, which I think goes a long way. It's not a clinician. It's not an expert. Everyone in this group is a peer 
and they're guiding each other through health and well-being. Even our volunteers are going through the program as well. Um, what we also get our volunteers to do is to teach these guys educational skills. So skills about how to communicate emotions, skills about how to deal with their emotions, how to stay fit and healthy you know, physically, including you know, avoiding screen time, managing substances, um, a whole range of, of educational pieces that hopefully that person will adopt as practices and routines in their everyday life to, to improve health and wellbeing. Um, all of these educational pieces have been designed by mental health clinicians. And then the last thing that we do that's quite different, I think there's a whole lot of groups like this in the community. You know, there's a whole lot of men's groups that catch up and meet. Um, what we also do is we provide our volunteers with um, access to mental health clinicians. So if one of the blokes in the program is struggling, we're the first to say we're not a treatment organisation. But if someone is struggling, we want to provide a really clear referral pathway to those clinicians. So our, our community volunteer will call an on-call clinician and say, hey, I'm sitting here with Jack. He's had a bit of a challenge tonight. Are you able to have a chat with him? So if we can prevent the need for clinical intervention, that's a really good thing. But at the same time, if we can be that metaphorical um, catalyst to get that person to the, clin the clinical consult they need, you know, the, the metaphorical take them to the appointment, book it for them, drive them there and sit outside if we need to. Um, to get our mates into that program, that's a really good thing. So we train two different community members from all um, areas of Australia, two different men um, who are volunteering their time about three hours a month to then facilitate growth rooms for their local community. And now the whole process is entirely free for anyone in the community. So in terms of our, our resources and our funding, um, we, we've only been around as a professional sort of organisation with employed staff for three and a half years. Um, uh, Medibank have been our major supporter for that whole time. Uh, so Medibank gave us some funding to get on our feet um, to show uh, the community what we could do and to get proof of concept. Um, we've also had some other really amazing and really loyal community supporters like some of the um, Sydney GPS alumni unions who have said, you know what, there's a, there's a real um, need for this. And, and the Riverview Old Boys community is where we were founded out of. I'm not from that community myself, but they've been so supportive of what we're doing. Um, and then since there, it's about being really resourceful. It's about, okay, well, who has a vested interest in what we're doing? We do some, uh, quite a lot of uh, community, sorry, corporate fee-for-service stuff that allows us to fund our free community programs. Um, we've been able to secure some, some government funding and, uh, you know, community grants and things like that. But it's about being as resourceful as we can to keep that funding coming in. Um, so if there's anyone listening who, who does have some, some interest and some capacity to help, then please do reach out. We're always looking for new ways. But... Most importantly, um, if there's anyone listening who can think of a bloke who is really fit and healthy, send them our way. Who's really mentally healthy, send them our way. Who may be struggling slightly, send them our way. Um, what I emphasise is that our programs aren't just for those who are struggling. It's about it's a gym for the mind. It's about getting mentally fit and resilient, so that when you've got to run those mental marathons that you know pop up, they certainly have in the last 12 months for a lot of people. Um, that you've got the capacity to deal with them safely. Um, it's about emptying your bucket in those 
in our growth rooms monthly so that you can deal with life's challenges. Um, our, I guess our uh, participants and our volunteers, they, they come across social media as a big one. We, we do a lot of social um, action, you know, on our Instagram, on our Facebook, LinkedIn, those sorts of things to, to drive attention and drive awareness. Um, but we're always looking for new community members, whether they're volunteers as facilitators or just participants. Um, so, yeah, looking at linking and, and then as well as linking with other organisations like Lifeline Australia, for example, we're on there with anyone who may be struggling. Um, we, we work with local GPs and psychologists as a referral partner for them, local head spaces. Um, but again, that's about being as resourceful as we can as well to let everyone know about our free programs. So, Jack, um, is this a national program? I, I mean, have you got people all over the country? So we, we're in a really lucky position that we, we ran face-to-face programs. Our network was originally in Sydney. So we had programs face-to-face in Sydney, the central west of New South Wales, Dubbo, Orange, those sorts of areas, as well as Canberra. And uh, we had done some work in Gippsland in Victoria. When COVID hit, we went virtual. Um, and that was a really exciting thing because we were able to train volunteers virtually, um, which means if we have two blokes from a certain town all over the country, we can train them virtually over about six or eight hours um, and a, you know, a whole range of different resources to do that, train them virtually and then give them the tools and the capacity to go and support their local community. Um, so we can now run programs nationally um, as well as we've got ongoing virtual programs. So um, anyone who's struggling, both men and women, for these virtual groups can reach out from all over the country and participate once a week, once a month or once a fortnight um, in their safe space on a Zoom call. So it's, it's a really exciting thing. How do they get, how do they get involved and get uh, in contact? Yeah, um, great question, Brett. Thank you for that. And I also want to emphasise that anyone who does reach out, it doesn't just have to be as a participant or as a volunteer. Um, if they've got any interest or passion in the space, we're always we're a community of people who want to help others um, in a targeted way. So if there are people that have skills or some sort of advice or support they want to lend or they want to be a part of in some way, please reach out. Um, but first and foremost, I'd say head to our website, www.thebanksiaproject.org.au. Um, as I said, our programs are entirely free. Um, we're also running corporate programs, um, which you know provide support for employees and teams of employees. Um, and then also check out our, our social media channels, so at The Banksia Project um, on Facebook and Instagram. We're really trying to grow our profile there and, you know, um, we, we share a lot of stats and facts and, you know, insights into men's mental health um, that is useful for anyone to see. So if you see something that you resonate with, you know, share it, share it to your local community and um, I'm sure there'll be someone reading who might resonate even more and they may end up reaching out and, you know, if we can, if we can get one person to some help that they may need and perhaps before they even know they need it then that's a really phenomenal thing to do. Yeah, so I think, I think we, we found probably a double um, in, in the amount of people that were reaching out for our services. And wow. I'd say one of the reasons that is, um, what we offer is, I'd say prior to COVID, could be quite ostracising, you know. If you need an extra connection, if you need some extra support, come and join a men's group. You know, I think a lot of people 
in, in the general community would find that quite strange and ostracizing to join up. Whereas I think the messaging from about February and March last year was get connected, find the support you need, work out whatever it is, um, but get some extra community connection and support in such a challenging time. So we saw our, our program output double. Um, but I'd say probably one of the most concerning things is the, the, the sense of uh, urgency on a lot of our clients was um, increased. You know, I'd say people that were registering were quite a lot more acute in terms of their mental health uh, challenges um, in reaching out, which obviously meant the demand on, on us as an organisation was, was tough. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's an absolute privilege to be able to provide that support. I think um, one of the things, George, that will be very interesting is, you know, and I've said this a few times, is that we came together as a nation to provide support um, during the bushfires. We then came together as a nation to provide support during the start of COVID and the COVID lockdown. You know, we all put the measures in place that we need to, to make sure that we're, we're stopping this, you know, viral spread. I think what's going to be really important in the next sort of 12, 18 months is coming together as a nation to deal with the impacts that this has had. Um, I don't think we're, we're really felt the economic impact yet. I think some people have, obviously, and I, I really don't want to play down the economic impact that has been made on people acutely and over the last 12 months. But I think the, the impact that we're going to see is going to be profound and, and probably long-lasting and um, the mental health impact that this has caused for a lot of people or, or the mental health challenge that this has caused for a lot of people, I think we need to come together as a nation and, and meet that demand as well. You, you're right. You're right. I mean, we're really good at coming together at physical challenges, like the Correct. prison themselves, and they're obvious. They're, in, they're staring you in the face. Yeah. But mental health, that's not so obvious. It's insidious. It's, it's hidden. It's, um, it just creeps along. And it's a silent killer in a way. It's a, and no one really sees it. It's not obvious um, yeah. because there's a whole lot of pretending going on. So um, ha, how do you see us coming together to grapple with that challenge? Look, it's, it's, a, it's a huge, um, you know, uh, response needed. I think... First and foremost, we need to make it okay. I, I think, you know, uh, we need to drop the crap. We need to drop the facades of, um, you know, even something as simple as I'd say one of the biggest challenges we all face is that we walk into the workplace every day, whether we, you know, physically walk in there, we're now virtually, we put the mask on. We might have had the worst sleep. We might have been so stressed about finance. We might be stressed about our family, our kids, whatever it is. And we say, yeah, I'm all good. And uh, we get on with the job. And, and that means that we're pretending. We're pretending that we're okay. And I think that's something that we need to stop. And we need to give people around us permission to stop that as well. Um, to say, you know what, there are going to be times that might not be right now, but we're all going to struggle. And I want to be here to support you and I want you to be here to support me when I, when I reached out as well. Um, and so I think we need to do that and, and it needs to come from, uh, you know, a whole range of initiatives and support. Um, one of the things that I quite often say about banks here is, you know, we all know, are you okay? 
are you okay are absolutely phenomenal um, in terms of I wouldn't be able to have this conversation. You guys may not even be willing to have it with me if are you okay hadn't broken down the walls of it is okay to talk about our well-being and to talk about mental health, yeah. but it's a limited concept. It's ask a question. It's a marketing campaign. Mm. Um, whereas what we're trying to do is almost provide that next step to say, well, if you want a safe space to talk about how you're feeling, if you want a safe audience and safe tools to talk about how you're feeling and what's going on authentically, here's the Banksia project. Um, and I think that sort of thing is the next generation or the next shift in momentum of the mental health industries. We need to actually continue to provide spaces, audiences and tools to talk safely about how we actually feel. Mm. I mean, what I get, what I get from, from this conversation, uh, uh, Jack, is that, uh, you know, we need to start uh, implementing authentic communication. Just be authentic. No, no pretense, not required not necessary because it just creates a, a false dichotomy really it just um, it undermines um, your mental health in the long run and um, you know I saw that like I said I saw that in my dad I saw that in I mean I'm a little bit older than you but I saw that in all the generation of men. a year or two yeah yeah a year or two that's right that's right but I saw that in all the generation of men in my family they were all at those tough silent types that were quietly suffering in the background and never once uh, I think they express themselves um, through drink more than anything yeah yeah I think um, you know something I say quite often is that for whatever reason um, Aussie men are in a box you know I don't want to talk about who put us there or why we're there you know it's a whole different conversation but we're in a box and it's causing us to harm ourselves and to harm the people around us mm. um, if you look at a lot of the statistics in terms of you know domestic violence, incarceration, um, homelessness, as well as mental illness and suicide, men are top of the charts in all of them. Um, and so I think for whatever reason, we are unhealthy and unhappy. And so we need to work out how do we break out of that box and how do we help our, our brothers and our fathers and sons also come with us on that journey and get out of that situation. And I think... You know, there's a time and a place for those authentic conversations and those vulnerable conversations, but we all need to make sure that we at least have a time and a place because, unfortunately, a lot of men don't um, have that one, two, five, you know, people around them that they can just be absolutely authentic with. And also a lot of the time if they do have it, it's a female and, and we need to be able to have that conversation with our mates uh, as men, as our peers. If there was one piece of it, you know, one piece of advice or, or, you know, a comment to pass on to people out there, what would it be? And the second one is we always finish our podcast episodes with a song and I can't remember whether, whether you told me what song that was or not. I don't think I did tell you the song. Um, I'll, I'll jump into the first one first. Yep. Um, for me, I think the one tip is understand your own well-being. Um, I think, you know, there's a whole range of, of things that people suggest, you know, all these professionals throw stuff out there to say, this is going to help you, this is going to make you feel better, but no one can tell you, you know, your experience, you're the expert. Um, so spend time, give yourself the time and space to stop and unpack your own well-being. you know. And, and there's a few factors that I'll, I'll take two seconds and I'll jump into. Um, but understand some of the, 
the, the risk factors that might pop up in your life, you know, whether it's chronic illness, job stress, um, family stress, whatever that is, um, everyone's going to be different. So I can't go and say, okay, well, these are the things that are going to happen. Um, but understand what's going to pop up in your life or what is a potential risk. But then most importantly, have a think about some of the really strong factors you have. So, you know, is it, is it you've got secure work, you've got a really good family structure, you know, you've got good education, you've got good physical health. What are some of the really strong systems you've already got in place? And if you don't necessarily have all those systems, um, try and find some. So we call those risk factors and protective factors. Work out what your risk and protective factors are. Um, I'd say secondly then, work out what some of your triggers are. When you're starting to become challenged, when some of these risk factors start overwhelming you, how do you start behaving? You know, what are some of the things that you identify that, okay, I may be going downhill a little bit here. Um, and, and so w- what that means is you can, you can identify that, okay, I'm, I'm starting to lose balance a little bit. Um, the next step of that understanding is work out what the self-care is. What can I do that actually makes me feel better? And if I feel that I'm starting to lose balance, how do I get back onto that equilibrium? Um, and really simple attainable goals you know uh, and I'll I'll piece this all together in a little bit Um, but what are some things that I can do to make me feel better and what makes me feel better is going to be different to you Brett and Brett what makes you feel better is going to be different to George but so we all need to spend the time understanding what our self-care looks like and there's probably one last piece all those steps seem pretty simple but the last piece of this puzzle I think is the most important is Who else is in your support loop? Who else is in your self-care loop? Let them know that they're in your self-care loop. Let them know what your self-care loop looks like and the role that they play in that. So if I unpack this and and sort of summarise for me, um, you know, risk factors may look like work stress. It may look like, you know, some physical injuries that pop up every now and then. the the behaviors of withdrawal and and sort of you know, either burying myself in work or withdrawing from my partner and the people who are close around me to to pretend like everything's okay the self-care looks like looking after my physical health eating well you know having authentic communication or sometimes switching the phone and laptop off and all you know it might be getting some sunshine or having a cup of coffee with a friend or whatever that looks like but the last piece of who's in that loop is my partner and she knows that. So my partner knows that when I'm that work is a stress, that my stresses look like this. When I am stressed, I start behaving like this. And most importantly, this is what makes me feel better. Because sometimes on those days when I feel crap, the last thing I want to do is go get some sunshine, have a cup of coffee, do all these things that help me. So if my partner Catherine, she can go, I can see you withdrawing, I can see you stressed out. I know work's stressing you out right now. Let's go do this. And she keeps me accountable in my own self-care. And I think that's such a simple concept. But if, if we all adopt our own self-care loops and we tell other people, you play an active role in my care and this is what I need you to do when I'm feeling crap and this is what it looks like when I'm feeling crap, it's, it can really help on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's so simple, but it's so, so important. I think uh, we're up. It's, it's so good to hear that we've uh, reached an enlightened stage in life. I mean, the good old dirty 70s and 80s of sex, drugs and rock and roll doesn't work, really. Yeah, well, or if it does, it's uh, only a certain amount of time that it does work for and then all of a sudden the wheels fall off and 
um, we realised that we're probably doing more harm than we thought. For sure. So the song? I'm going to have to go with uh, I Need Never Get Old by Nathaniel Ratliff. Okay. It's not a song I know, but I'm happy to put that one on there. That's, uh, that's out of left field. Oh, okay. You'll have to look that up, Brett. I will. It's one that I don't know. Yeah, our Wisdom's music catalogue there, our living encyclopedia, old Brady boy, he doesn't know it. <laughs> That's a rarity. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm ever looking for some, for some tunes to, to switch off and um, sort of zone out, Bonnie the um, is, is my, my go-to. So. Okay, cool. Well, um, George, are you happy? Mate. No, mate, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy, uh, Jack. Just so you know that I'm happy. That's good <laughs> today. Today, <laughs> but if you're not, if you're not, well, you can tell me about that too. I will, Jack. I'll be I'll be in touch for sure, for sure. Because uh, you know, um, it happens to all of us. Absolutely. Yep. One hundred percent. Jack, it's been fantastic. Thanks for giving us your time. Um, yes, Jack. We know you're busy. And, uh, uh, but, you know, hopefully we'll get the word out there to all of our listeners. We've got, we've got a reasonable following these days and probably quite a lot of men in, in their mid, you know, 40s and 50s that are probably exactly the type that you're talking, you know, that you're talking about and working with all the time. So thanks yeah. a lot for giving us your time. Yeah, I want to. I want to also uh, say uh, commend you on uh, not leaving it till your fifties to start thinking about a legacy. You're actually doing it now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and uh, that's brilliant, mate. Terrific. No, thank thank you very much, guys, and and thank you for inviting me and, and your time this morning as well. And you know, um, I'm always keen to hear if if anyone's listening and certain things resonated with them, then please do let me know. But at the same time, if if you ever want me to jump on again and and talk talk more about what we're doing. Um, I'm, as you can tell, I'm probably uh, I'm very passionate about the whole space. So. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I could I could speak on behalf of Brett as well. We have a shitload of people we can refer your way. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. Send them our way. Send them our way. Thanks, Jack. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Bye.